Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. The message I have for you to do today is really a simple um, title, Leave Our Regrets Behind and Follow Jesus Together. And I want to talk about what that means. I want to talk about what it means to leave your regrets behind and to follow Jesus together. You know, it's been said that yesterday is a canceled check, tomorrow is a promissory note, and today is the only cash you have, so spend it wisely. Amen? I want to start today with a text from John chapter 21, and we're going to look at verses, actually just verses 1 through 13, and I want you to see this story. I'll give you a little bit of background after we read the text, but... But right now, I want you to look at this story with me, and, uh, and I don't, yeah, it is going to be appear great, um, and, and let it speak to you. Now, I, I want you to kind of put yourself in the story, and I, I challenge you to do this often because it's part of what we're called to do. We're not only called to draw out of the text its original intent, but we're called to put ourselves in the text. We're called to, you know, kind of go there and, and make Scripture relevant to our own life, to get into it. And so I want you to get into the story with me, okay? And so look at verse 1 with me. It says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Now, what does it mean he revealed himself? I'll give you a little background here in a few minutes that will be a little more in depth. But this is after Jesus has been crucified, buried, and has risen from the dead bodily. He's already appeared to his disciples a couple of different times, and he's meeting them now by the Sea of Tiberias. He's revealing himself to them. And it goes on to say in verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. How many fishermen we got in this room? You're like, sounds like a good word. I am going fishing. They said to him, these are good bros right here. This is, these are good brothers. Notice what they said to him. We will go with you. That's how you know you got good bros, man. I'm going fishing. We'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. By the way, I can just imagine Peter going, man, there were several that were like this big. And they were in the net, and I was pulling, and then they just got away, right? So I'm sure they had fish stories too. Just as day was breaking, these are all really key things. They went out all night, nothing happened. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, by the way, that's the disciple who wrote this book. His name is John. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Scripture's got all kinds of cool little things. That disciple whom Jesus loved Therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and, and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. I love this story. I've preached on this text of Scripture multiple times here over the years because this is such a beautiful picture of how Jesus takes people who have failed, people who have fallen, people who have regrets, and restores them. And you know, as we look forward into a new year, one of the first things I want to start with is I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is alive and he's risen from the dead. And because that's true, no matter what we face, no matter what's ahead of us, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what kind of report we might get this year, He is Lord and King over it all, and He's on His throne, and He's the sovereign over planet Earth, and all the nations belong to Him, and there's nothing that happens on this earth. There's not one sparrow that falls to the earth. And I was reminded of this the other day when a sparrow flew into our slider and died right on the spot. I tried to revive it, I picked it up, I brought it in the house, I stroked it, I blew warm air into its face, I'm like, come on, Lord! Now, what's cool is a little while later, another one flew into it, and Peggy picked it up and put it on the barbecue and kind of gave it a few minutes, and it flew... What's that? Not to barbecue it, sorry. (laughs) You guys okay? little desperate cooking sparrows? Not much meat on those. (laughs) I never even thought about it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. I got distracted right there. Okay. That was great. Oh, thanks, hon. And it came back alive. So the question is, who had more faith? Who's moving with God? Who's closer to the Lord? What's going on here? But anyway, the sparrow that I picked up died and when she picked up lived. Okay. But a little bit of background to this text and just to, to remind you, Jesus has been crucified for the sins of the world. He's died on a Roman cross. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. A true, truly new era for all of human history has begun. And, you know, we don't, a lot of times we don't know how to contextualize this because we live in the post-resurrection world. We live in a world that has only ever known about the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But you have to understand, and I think you all know this and you get this, intellectually at least, but if we really got it in our hearts, if we got it in our guts, and we understood that Christ rose from the dead and stayed alive forever, And that that was a paradigm-shifting new kind of thing that had never happened in human history. When we really get that, 
when we really wrap our heads around the resurrection, we understand that any other and every other miracle that's ever been set up before that or has come since that was all focused on that event. That event is It's the miracle. Well, I should say the whole incarnation, the whole idea that God enfleshed himself and became a man and came down here to earth and lived among us and experienced our lives and experienced what we go through and then was crucified for us and took the sins of the world on him and then was buried. You know, he went through a sham trial. He was spit upon. He was mocked. Had his beard ripped from his face, a crown of thorns beaten into his skull, beaten with a cat of nine tails whip until his back was flayed and his flesh was ripped. He went through one thing after another to bear and take on human suffering and to understand our journey, to know who we are. He went through it all and then died for us and then is buried. All of us go through these things. We experience death. We're going to look death in the eyes. He tasted death. He went there and he beat it. And when he beat it, he set something in motion. The scripture says he's the first fruits from the dead. He did something new. He broke the mold. He restarted creation. He lifted dead creation out of the tomb with him and began to bring all things back to life. And there will come a day when he'll even remake all of creation. And every single molecule that's cursed with sin and death will have that curse lifted and everything will be made right again. No more evil, no more injustice, no more disease, no more car accidents and sorrow and pain and grieving. All of it's going to go away, all because he rose from the dead. So that's what happened, and the world had changed. And these guys were all grappling with this reality. They were all grappling with this idea that this one who we loved and followed who then broke our hearts and died, this one we'd put all of our hopes and dreams in, the one we were going to reign with in a new kingdom, he's dead and we're we're like, what are we going to do? How do we live now? What do we do with our lives? Peter says, the only thing I know how to do is go fishing. That was his only response. Let's go fishing. And then he comes back to life. He comes back from death. Nobody had ever done this before. And, you know, Peter was still living with a little bit of the shame, and that's, that's evident in the text, still living with some of the shame that he had denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And that was in the midst of Jesus' moment of suffering when he was on trial, in this moment of being rejected by all of his disciples in the whole world. Peter denied he even knew him, and interestingly enough, he denied that he even knew him around a charcoal fire. He's around a charcoal fire warming himself, and then he, now he comes to the beach, and here's a charcoal fire, and Jesus is cooking food on it. It's the only other time that phrase, charcoal fire, is used anywhere in the New Testament, and Jesus is here to restore him, and later in the text, we find out that Jesus does completely restore him, but we don't have time to get to that today, and I'm still on my introduction, so I need to move on here, but so he's unsure about his standing with Jesus. And he's living with all kinds of regret about his past decisions. This encounter with Jesus will give him the power to move forward with his life. Only an encounter with Jesus can truly give you the power to move forward from past regrets and mistakes. Because I want to tell you something, something that I know that is common to human beings. And that is I don't care how good of a person you are or you think you are, how smart you are, how gifted you are, how great your goals are. 
what your portfolio looks like. I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to tell you something. At some point in the days ahead or in this last year, you've done some stuff that you regret. You might be in denial about it. You might be justifying it. You might be coming up with the yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You might be going through all of that. But if you really get rid of all those voices in your head that try to tell you it's all okay, and you look at this last year, you look at yesterday or last night or this morning, you look at any of it, there are things that you live in regret over. There are things you grapple with. And for some of you, don't, you don't realize it because you've, you've taken those voices and you've pushed them back for so long, but that thing, it dogs you in the back of your mind. It accuses you and the enemy takes it. And there is an enemy of our souls. There is a demonic presence in the world that hates you, that hates Christians. And that guy is called the accuser of the brothers in the scripture. And that voice is there all the time reminding you, loser, bum, failure. If you wouldn't have done this, none of this would have happened. This is all on you. You're a terrible Christian. You don't love God. You don't love Jesus. Your sins aren't forgiven. You're not going anywhere. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just give up? You're just going to fall again. You're going to blow it again. You are filled with regret. And that voice confirms it continually. And I love in this text how Jesus comes to the one. Imagine this. You think you have regrets? Imagine you'd watch this man. You'd been with him for three and a half years and you had watched him raise dead people. You had watched him take some loaves and some fish and multiply them and you got to be a part of handing out the miracle and over 5,000 people were fed one time and 4,000 another time. You were out on the water in a storm and you didn't know what to do about the storm and Jesus came walking on the water and you saw it and he called you to come out of the boat and you became the only human being up to that time in human history who stepped out on the water and actually walked on the water for a few steps before you sunk beneath the waves. You've been that person and then when Jesus was being wrongly accused and taken away to a sham trial and beaten and spit upon and mocked, you said, I don't know the guy. And then when it, when it was asked two more times, you started cussing. I don't know the beacon, 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 beacon. Never seen him before in my life. That's what Peter did. So now he's living with that and Jesus is alive. And can you imagine? He's like, you know, he's in the presence of the Lord and he's like, he's so excited. Jesus has risen from the dead. But, you know, before he had kind of a special place, there's Peter, James, and John, the three guys, right? And Peter was kind of the leader of that group, and, and he's just kind of wondering, you know, I wonder if I have a spot with him anymore. Have I gone too far? Did I blow it too many times? And Jesus comes to them, and he changes them. So the first thing I want you to notice, this is my first point. <laughs> Y'all still with me? is that we're called to leave past pursuits behind and follow Jesus. And what that means is different for every person in this room. But, but I'll bet you, if you think about your life, there's some things that you're chasing or that you're, you're going after. They, they're not all bad things, by the way. In fact, a lot of the things that keep us from true devotion to Jesus Christ and following him in our lives are not bad things. We always think they're, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and all that, right? But... The truth is, is many times it's the good things. It's the good things that get in the way of the God things, right? And so 
A new day begins when old, the old pursuits no longer work. I, I love in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. What do you think God's saying to them in that? Now, we know that this miracle had actually happened before. Peter saw Jesus when he was just meeting Jesus. Jesus did a miracle like this, and this is an, almost a duplication. So that would have spoken to Peter. But the other thing it's telling Peter is, you know, you, you can't keep every time you face a difficulty in life, you can't go back to fishing. And what's your fishing? What is it in your life that you go back to when you feel like you're not doing good with Jesus? What is it? Secondly, a, a new day begins when the old pursu- pursuits leave us tired and empty. That night, they caught nothing. Think about it. They stayed up the entire night, and they caught nothing. Have you ever noticed that stuff that used to fill you, used to scratch an itch in you, it doesn't anymore? And when you spend time doing it, whatever it is, good, the good, the bad, the ugly, you come away feeling empty and discouraged, and you're like, why? Why did I waste my life doing that? What is it? Second point is trust Jesus even when you cannot see him clearly. A new day begins when when trusting a new day begins with trusting Jesus even when we don't recognize him. It says just as day was breaking. I love that. And this is us today. Just as day is breaking. It's a new day, it's a new year, it's a new time in your life. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Sometimes our vision gets dim. I want to tell you something as a pastor here that has been very real for me. I've had people come to me in the last six months and last year, and they say, what's, what's the vision for the church, Doug? What's our vision? And these last couple years, I, I, I feel almost like I got, you know, I got in a boxing ring, and I got punched, and I've been kind of you know, a little disoriented, and I can't see real clearly, and things are kind of dim. And I've had to say, you know, uh, we're praying about it. We're seeking the Lord. God's going to give us some clear forward vision. But the truth is, kind of got, got disoriented. Life kind of knocked us around a bit. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes your vision gets dim. And you lose a sense of who Jesus is. And there are times when our faith kind of falters. You ever gone through one of those times? Any of you ever gone through a time when your faith got shaken? Okay, the rest of you are liars. It's okay. We're also going to be praying for liars today to be delivered, right? But, but have you ever gone through a time when you kind of got, you know, you got knocked off course, you got a little, the Lord seems far away, distant, and you're wondering, is He real? Is this true? Have I bought a lie? Have I eat too much pizza? What's going on here? What do you do during those times? You trust. You hold on understanding that He's holding on to you. A new day begins with listening to Jesus' familiar voice and then obeying what He says. Jesus said, children, do you have any fish? No. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. We need His familiar voice. Sometimes when you can't see Him clearly, you will still hear the still small voice. You can... You can trust Him in that. You recognize something. Listen, all of you in this room that know Christ and have ever heard the voice of God, 
You might be struggling in your relationship with God and feeling like you're having difficulty hearing him, but I'm going to tell you something. When he speaks, you know it. Come on, you have to admit it. You ever been through that season in your life where it seems like for a long time God didn't speak with you and then when he did, you're like, I know that voice. I know that clear sound. And I I want to tell you, he's still speaking. He wants to speak to some of you in this room, some of you even that are a little discouraged to feel like maybe, you know, maybe God's not talking to you anymore. It's a lie. He's talking to you. He's talking to you right now. He's talking to you today in this room. He's even using me to talk to you. Recognize the voice of the Lord. Recognize this isn't just a, you know, this isn't just a motivational speaker and a guy isn't up there just kind of talking and, oh yeah, he knows how to play the crowd and all of that. I'm not doing that. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is taking God's words and causing them to find their mark in your heart. And I want to encourage you to tune your ears in and listen and don't harden your hearts and recognize God's after you. He's chasing you. He loves you. You're his beloved. He's never going to let you go. He's jealous for you. He's going to fight for you. Come on. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. I love this little poem. I'm going to read it to you. Another year I enter, it's history unknown. Oh, how my feet would tremble to tread its paths alone. But I have heard a whisper. I know I shall be blessed. My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. What will the new year bring me? I may not, must not know. Will it be love and rapture or loneliness and woe? Hush, hush, I hear his whisper. I surely shall be blessed. My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. What's, what's the bottom line when God's voice comes to us? It's not all the things he's going to do with us and in us, and that's going to happen, but it's ultimately, I'm with you. Don't worry yourself. Don't get anxious about tomorrow. You're just using up resources. You're using up energy. You're using up life and virtue. Don't get caught up in worrying about what tomorrow will bring. You can't read the future, and most of the time, your prognostications are wrong. You way overestimate how bad it's going to be or how good it's going to be. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. No, no. don't, Don't keep singing that song. Please. Do not sing. I'm sorry. My sin, I confess. Never sing Let It Go publicly. You'll trigger people. Okay. Next, the new day begins with recognizing the miracles of Jesus. In verses 6 and 8, they recognize the miracles. Now Peter's getting it. They're recognizing the voice, cast the net on the other side of the boat. Now they're seeing the works of Jesus, and Peter and John are like, John's like, it's the Lord. Duh. How long does it take dull people to hear the Lord? Well, I'm one of them. Sometimes it takes a miracle or two. But we'll recognize His miraculous works. He's still working all around us if we'll just open our eyes. You know, there's that beautiful beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And a lot of times we think, oh, that's talking about at the end of time when everything's wrapped up. The Lord's going to reward the pure of heart. No. 
Jesus was talking about the here and now in the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are a quality of life we can live in right now. What's his point? When your heart is toward the Lord, you look around you and everywhere you see God and his works. I'm not talking about being weird and seeing, you know, every like cloud that goes overhead. That's the face of Jesus. And, you know, people can get really strange sometimes, but I won't take much time on that. But I, but I am saying this. When you're walking close to the heart of Jesus and you're looking at him and recognizing him, you start to notice things like him in the people around you, like the people that used to annoy you. You start to see the beauty in them, the qualities in them. Like when I see the world rightly, my wife is wondrous to me. Like I'm going through constant rediscovery. When I'm seeing the Lord, I'm seeing her. I'm seeing God at work in her. She becomes a vessel of God's grace and love toward me and, and a revelation of Jesus Christ to me. I see him in my, my adult children, in my grandchildren. I see him in the birds that are eating in my backyard and, and my, my little dog, Brenna. And, you know, I, I begin to recognize the fingerprints. I see him in you. I see him in you. Like I've often come here on a Sunday feeling beat down a little bit or just wore out or maybe even a little bit discouraged and I get in worship and I start to look on Jesus in worship and worship Him and love Him and I get recalibrated and recentered. My compass goes back to true north and then all of a sudden I look out and I see you. I see people. I see them differently. The handiwork of God. The, Im the image bearers of God, the living miracles of God, the gifted ones, the saints of God. You see it in the Psalms. David, when he would speak about the saints, he would speak with this sense of joy, like he was looking at these wonders. You know, how lovely are your dwelling places, O God? And he was talking about maybe earthly dwelling places, but we know in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, you are the dwelling place of God, and I can look out and I can be in wonder and awe of how God has made you because you are a reflection of his character and his nature. And when I'm seeing the world rightly and my heart is set on him, I can see other things rightly as well. Whatever you behold the most is what you become like. And whatever you behold the most becomes your filter for the way you see the world. Amen? Oh, boy. Last point. So what happens? Then we pursue a revelation of Jesus together. A new day begins with the revelation that Jesus is Lord. Verse 7 says, That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Let us declare, Jesus is Lord. Now when we say that, we don't really understand it, but the word Lord means master. Master. He's the master over everything happening on this planet, but let's bring it home. He's the master over you and over your home. He's Lord. And some of the problems that we have in our lives are because we maintain lordship. We like the idea that Jesus is Savior. We're going to be forgiven. Right, we're going to go to heaven when we die. We, you know, we like that idea. The idea of a Savior, He's going to come and rescue us. 
But when he's Lord, that's when we regularly and daily, sometimes multiple times a day, embrace the cross. And what do I mean by that? We let our own selfish ways die and we embrace the way of Jesus. Right? And during those times, we find that he's over it all. And I'm going to tell you something. He can do a heck of a lot better job with your life than you can. Now, I know, listen, I, I, I want to be, I, I be gracious here because I know that we're talking about giving trust over to someone we can't see, and sometimes it can be kind of hard to figure out what is he saying, where is he guiding, what is he up to in my life? But it begins even with saying it. The confession of our mouth regularly being, Jesus, you're my Lord. That means you're my master, you're over me. When we regularly throughout the course of the day and throughout the course of our life just stop and say, Guide me. I, I'm not asking you to be my co-pilot. I'm asking you to be my leader. Is Jesus Lord? There's a lot of us in this room that have followed Christ for a long time. But every one of us on a daily basis need to do a checkup. Am I yielding to His Lordship? Am I letting Him have His way? Amen? Amen. And then a new day begins when we're willing to take a deep dive, excuse me, take a dive into a deep pursuit of Jesus. I love what Simon Peter does. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. When's the last time you threw yourself into the sea for Jesus? When's the last time that you felt he was calling you to do something that was going to really stretch your faith? Right? where you just threw yourself at his mercies. You trusted him. Right? And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, come on, Peter. He doesn't tell him to come. But Peter wanted to get to him as fast as he could. He wanted to be near the Lord. I love his heart. And then the last thing is a new day begins with a covenant meal with Jesus Christ together in community. I love how Jesus says to him, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. We've talked about this here before, but in the Bible, symbolically, the table was always the place of intimate friendship, communion. If you were invited to the table, even today, if you went to the Middle East, whether it was with a Muslim family or a Jewish family, it, didn't, it wouldn't matter where. If you were invited to someone's table, that would be their way of saying, there's peace among us and we're going to now eat and you're part of our home, you're part of our life. See, when Jesus said to Peter and all of the disciples, come and have breakfast. And I love that it's breakfast because it's the first of a, of a new day. He stood on the shore at dawn. It's all symbolic of a new beginning. And he says, come and have breakfast. When he says that to them, he's inviting them to restored and renewed fellowship. He's saying, Peter, I know what you did. It can never stop our fellowship. You come and eat with me. I prepared the meal. And I want you to know God's been preparing a meal for you. 
He has set the table, and He issues an invitation. Come on and eat. You're welcome at my table. And I want to tell some of you who have been living under the cloak of condemnation, you're welcome at the table of the Lord. I appeal to you. You blew it. You have regrets. Last year, maybe New Year's Eve night, maybe you're still hungover. No, I'm not not, seriously. Maybe you did something really stupid. Maybe you're hurting today. Jesus is coming to my table. I have bread and wine. I have body and blood. I have forgiveness and restoration. I make all things new. Come. Come to the table. You're welcome. Don't listen to the liar. You're welcome. Listen, Peter blew it bigger than any of us, ever. If Jesus says, come and eat to Peter, he says, come and eat to you. Amen? Isn't that good news? But the other thing, I'm not quite done, is it was in community. It wasn't just Jesus saying, hey, Peter. He takes him away in a little, little bit later in the, in the Scripture. He takes him kind of on a personal walk or something. But right here, it's with a group. And I want to tell you one of the saddest things to me of the last two years, and this is where I end, has been how many people have gone away from churches because of COVID. And, you know, some of it was we've just got comfortable going online. Some of it was we got offended and angry with our church or its leaders and we left. Or some of it was um, we just got into new habits. We like to sleep in now and watch football and eat and we have a new life. And somewhere we've bought the idea that if it's online or we can just have our own little private home church or whatever it may be that that that's, that qualifies. But I want to state emphatically to you that that doesn't exist anywhere in the New Testament church. You just can't find it. This idea of Jesus and Jesus, me and a friend or two at Starbucks is not church. Watching online is not church. It's an element, but it's not church. You might say, well, what's the big deal about gathering together in a, in a building? The big deal about gathering together in a building is the word together and gathering, right? We are called to be together. We're called to be together. We are the body. Thank you. Got a preacher over here. We're the body, the body of Christ. And there's no picture anywhere in the New Testament where that body does its own thing in a private me and Jesus relationship. It's always in a community. It's always in a group. It may have been in homes because they couldn't have buildings, but there are stories of two or 300 people gathering in homes. Early Christian history is not a little group of people. Sometimes it was because of persecution. But many of the homes, they would find somebody in their fellowship that had a large courtyard. And hundreds would come to a home. That's God's way. God's way is together. Gathered together. 
And it's beautiful that Jesus was found at a meal with his friends. And Jesus is still found at a meal with his friends. And this is the meal, and we're his friends, and he's right here. Amen.